Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called God Is. In this series, we're learning who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Thanks for joining us. A prominent British actor known for his dinner parties once invited an older pastor friend who had been forced to retire because of voice problems to one of his dinner parties. After dinner, as was his custom, the actor offered to recite something for his guest. He gave the honor of choosing what to recite to his older pastor friend. All was quiet for a moment, and then the older pastor suggested the 23rd Psalm. The actor replied, that's an unusual request, but I happen to know it. So I'll recite Psalm 23 on one condition, that you recite it after I do. The older pastor had not expected that, but he agreed. The actor stood up and recited the 23rd Psalm with great intonation and passion in his well-trained voice. And when he finished, everyone applauded. The old pastor then shyly stood to his feet and slowly but thoughtfully recited the psalm so familiar to him in the old King James language with his voice cracking a bit. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of of the Lord forever. When he finished, no one stirred, and there was not a dry eye in the room. Sensing the emotion of the moment, the actor said, you clapped for me, but you wept for him. The difference is obvious. I knew the psalm. He knows the shepherd. Today we continue our series called Our God Is. And this summer, we're studying the names of God. Not all of them, but some of them. And today, we come to this Old Testament name for God, uh, Jehovah-Rohi. Do you mind practicing that with me? Jehovah-Rohi. And it means the Lord is my shepherd. We're going to talk about that. And so our God is shepherd. We're going to primarily look at Psalm 23 that was just quoted. But from here, what I want to also just remind you to do is if you would open your Bibles to Psalm 23, we're going to look at that in a little bit. And so if you're getting used to your Bible, someone taught me years ago that if you open your Bible to about the halfway point, it usually falls open pretty close to Psalms, if not right there. Psalm 23, if you're using one of the black Bibles that's there in the seat rack near you, it's on page 441. And I think the page number is also going to be listed up on the screen as you're turning there. But as you're finding that place, let me just mention that the goal of this series, the reason why we're doing this this summer, is uh, something that I think we listed up on the, on the screen. And I want to ask if you would read it along with me. Would you join me? To know who God is and how he wants to relate to us. So we want to know 
God and how he wants to relate to us, and we're studying it through his names because so often in the Bible, he revealed his name to people. And let me just say this. You probably already know this, but the word, the name, means more than just the title. So if we pray in Jesus' name, we're not saying in Jesus, Jesus. What we're praying is in Jesus' authority, his character, his reputation, his track record, his person, his very nature. And so when you maybe went to pick names for a loved one, if you were naming them, you know that if their character was attractive, the name was attractive. If their character wasn't you know, attractive, then you didn't want to name someone that. And so the Lord is Jehovah-Rohi. Uh, he's the shepherd. Now, as we think about this today, you may have studied Psalm 23. You may have heard this whole idea that the Lord is shepherd. But here's what I want us to think about as we start today. If you're following along, we can know the psalm without knowing the shepherd. We can know the psalm without knowing the shepherd. If the goal in life is not just to come and fill our heads with more information, but to really know the Lord, then I I pray that today can be useful in that regard as you and I gather together, that we can actually know the shepherd in every chapter of our lives, and that we can know him personally, because that's really what he wants for us. That's what he wants to reveal himself to us today. So would you pray for me? And then we're going to just unpack Psalm 23 and talk about what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. Now, God, I just want to pause and and reaffirm my dependence upon you to speak not only to me, but to every person in this room. And I thank you that you have the skill and the ability to do that, but even more that you have the want to to do that. And I pray that each one of us will know what you want us to know today so that we can trust you as our shepherd. Thank you for your word, God. Now, through your Holy Spirit, speak to every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, would you, uh, when you think about this, Psalm 23.1, I've listed there in that first grade box, and I've listed three different uh, ways that it could be said from a couple of versions and a paraphrase. So would you, most of us have heard, if we've heard Psalm 23, we've heard this first line, the way it's stated in that first line. Do you mind reading that with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, this was written again with the idea where want Uh, when it was first translated that way, uh, is different than how we think of want now. So we we could easily begin to think this is the Lord is my shepherd, so he gives me all I want. That's not what it means. In fact, the second line is closer to the meaning of what is said there. Let's read that together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In other words, I'm not in want because he's met my every need. And I like how the Living Bible puts it. Would you read that third line with me in that first grade box? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. If he's our shepherd, he will give us everything we need. He may not give us everything we want, but he will give us everything we need. And so as we, as we think about him this morning, I want to just give you some background. So as we think about Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd, notice this. Uh, the, do we all know who wrote it? If you look, see in your Bibles, it says a Psalm of David, right? So King David wrote this, and if you're following along in the notes, David sees, as he looks back, how God has related to him as a shepherd. 
David sees as he looks back how God has related to him as a shepherd. If we want to know who God is and how he wants to relate to us, David helps us in this regard. He says, I want to relate to you as a shepherd. Now, most of us have never been shepherds or even known shepherds. We don't get a chance to be around sheep as much as people used to be. And so as we think about this, we've got to think, why did David pick this particular image? First of all, it was way more common when David wrote about it in a shepherding culture that way. But also, he had been one. He had been one as a shepherd boy. When he was anointed as king by Samuel, remember they had to wait until he came in from his father's field tending the sheep. And so he had been one. Eventually, he would be made the king of Israel. And they used that same idea as a shepherd over the people of God's people. So he says, you know, I look back on my life. And I think about what I know about sheep and being a shepherd. That's probably one of the best pictures, metaphors for me to describe how God has related to me. And notice this, that he's been a shepherd and he humbly identifies with sheep. He's been a shepherd, and he humbly identifies with sheep. In other words, he admits his own sheepness. He actually says, you know, man, I've learned a lot about sheep, and there are some similarities to what I see in myself. Now, again, I've never been a shepherd, but my dad, when he was young, raised some sheep. Uh, He lived on a farm, and so he's learned a few things about that. He's taught me that you can't drive sheep. You have to lead them. You can drive certain animals, but you can't drive sheep. They'll just scatter. You got to lead them. And so a shepherd does that. Now, again, even if you've never been a shepherd or been around sheep, here's a great resource that's been helpful to me. It's a book by Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I've read this three or four times in my life. I think it came out in 1970 or 1971. It's by a man who uh, was a shepherd in Africa, and he's talked about how many similarities there were between that and the Middle East and shepherds there. But this book, I reread it again this week. It's about 140 pages if you're interested in reading that. Fascinating insights. I'll share a few this morning. But notice this if you're following along. Sheep are fearful, foolish, helpless and go astray. Sheep are fearful, foolish, helpful, and go astray. They can be stubborn. Uh, and so let's just think about this a little bit uh, as, we, as we think about it. Here's some pictures of some Middle Eastern shepherds that um, I thought might help get us thinking about this in our imagination. You can see the long staff in his hand. And then here's another one. And then again, you can see some of the terrain that they had to be shepherds on. And uh, this picture of one on the shoulder of the shepherd. And then here's a picture of uh, Cherry Hill's family right here that I found. (laughs) And uh, so, again, this idea of being sheep. Now, Tony Evans says, unless you're willing to admit you're like a sheep, you can never know him as a shepherd. Not really. And so it's critical that we do that. And then Tony Evans goes on and he uses four D words. He says, this is just totally honest. Sheep are dumb. They're defenseless, they're dirty, and they're directionally challenged. Outside of that, they're easy to take care of. And this idea is is that those are some of the same things that that I struggle with. Isaiah 53, 6 says this about all of us. It says that all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. 
And so the Lord has done something about our straying. He's done something about how difficult it is sometimes to shepherd us. But he has worked in such a way. And David is celebrating this. Um, Again, what's a shepherd? What does a shepherd primarily do? If you're following along, a shepherd leads and feeds, directs and protects the sheep. A shepherd leads and feeds, directs and protects the sheep. You know, pastor is just the Latin for shepherd. It's this idea. It means the same thing. And so when God was talking about some of his earthly human shepherds, he challenged them because they weren't necessarily taking their job seriously. So here in Ezekiel 34, 4, look at what he says. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so he says, I'm going to do something about that. But in this psalm, we begin to see how David celebrates and praises God that the Lord is his shepherd. Now, if you're following along, there's really a couple things. This Psalm 23 really is a psalm of praise. He's saying, what a privilege that the Lord is my shepherd. And so he appreciates, if you're following along, how the Lord guides and provides for him. He appreciates how the Lord guides and provides for him, and he actually mentions that in this psalm. And then he's grateful, the next line, the Lord is therefore and cares for him. He's truly grateful that the Lord is there for and cares for him. These are some of the ideas that we find in Psalm 23. So just walk with it through me. Uh, uh, walk with me through this psalm a little bit. By the way, the word psalm means song. So this was originally set to music. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I shall not want. I have everything I need. But then he goes on. He says in verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I didn't know this, but again, if you read Philip Keller's book, here's what he says. The strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. They're easily panicked animals, by the way. Because of their social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their own kind. Some of us know that among chickens, there's a pecking order, you know, where you're jockeying for position there among chickens. In sheep, there's a butting order. They would literally butt one another or bully one another, push people out, and there's that friction where if you're always on the defensive like that. Third, if tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. And lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. It is significant, Philip Keller notes, that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravation, and hunger. Do you see any parallel to people in there? We all, unless we have, if those things are dominating us, we cannot rest, we cannot lie down, we cannot relax. And so notice also that he says, he leads me beside quieter, still waters. I didn't know this before, but that sheep will not drink from moving water. Why is that? I I don't know if, again, it's because they're timid or because they know some things about themselves. They're not as sure-footed, so if they got in the water, they could easily be thrown off. They also have heavy wool that if they've gotten that wet before, they know it can really throw them off too. But also, there's just something about this that the shepherd understands. 
So how do they, how do they drink from still waters? Well, Phil Keller says most of it comes from the dew on the grass or on the branches of some of the bushes and trees. And they, they can rub up, they can, they can drink that water and be refreshed that way. But also sometimes the shepherds would take a stream or moving water and they would just carve a little channel of water so it would be just away from all that moving water and they could just finally drink and not have to be worried about the moving water. The third thing that we notice here is he says he restores my soul. That word means that he re-energizes, he refreshes me. Uh, he does something to put me back on my feet. Uh, again, Philip Keller is very helpful on this. He said, there's an old English shepherd's term for a sheep that has turned over on its back and cannot get up. It's a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. A cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flays away frantically, struggling to stand up without success. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there lashing about in a frightened frustration. If the owner does not arrive on the scene within a reasonably short time, the sheep will die. This is but another reason why it is so essential for a careful sheepman to look over his flock every day, counting them all to see that they are able to be up and on their feet. The way it happens is this. A heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. Now it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. As it lies there struggling, gases can begin to build up inside the sheep. As they expand, it can actually cut off blood circulation and the extremities of the body, especially the legs, can be threatened. So again, I think we've got a couple pictures of a cast sheep there. There's obviously one of his friends not able to do much to help him there. He's not asking you to rub his stomach, by the way. And here's another one. And this idea is, is this helplessness. Have you ever been cast down? The Bible uses this. When I was in college, we, um, I, I was going through a time for about three months where there was no feeling of God. And I didn't know what to do. I was still trying to follow him, but it was one of the darker times of my life. And I remember the only way I could picture is I was on my back and I couldn't upright myself. And during those days, I began to memorize Psalm 42 and 43 where it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And I remember thinking, God is my hope. He will eventually help and upright me. And so grateful that he did. But if you've ever been cast down, you know what it means to have him restore your soul. The next thing he says is, is that you lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In other words, not just for my benefit, my sake, because you remain true to who you are. You lead me in the right paths, even though I'm a sheep and I'll pick all kinds of wrong paths. Here's the thing. Sheep will pick wrong paths just because they're there. Sometimes out of stubbornness, sometimes out of group instinct, sometimes they'll find themselves completely off the path. Another way, sometimes I've thought about this, if you're a sheep and all you care about is the next bite of grass, have you ever noticed that if you just keep doing that in a row, all of a sudden you look up and go, where's the rest of the flock? It can happen. And so a shepherd is keeping an eye out to make sure 
that they don't go astray without going after them, without rescuing them and caring about them. And he says, you, you are the one that goes before me. You lead me in the right places so I don't eat poisonous plants, so that I have enough grass, so that I can lie down. You are a good shepherd. And then he says, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Think about this, friends. Many of us want to live on mountaintops with God the whole time. But if you're going to live on mountaintops, do you notice what there, what there is between two mountaintops? A valley. And so shepherds know that sometimes to lead them up to high places where some of the good ground is, they've got to go through a valley. Sometimes there's good water there. Sometimes there's other benefits, but there's also predators. There's also dangers. And so it's both and. But he says, even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You're there for me. You care for me. And it matters. And so as he tells that, then he says, you uh, anoint, you know, you, you uh, not only lead me through that, but your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, Philip Keller talks about how even young shepherd boys, he watched this in Africa and also in the Middle East, they'll take a shorter stick that has kind of a knob on the end. They'll make it so it's got a little bit of a club-like and they'll fit it to their hand. And he says, then they become absolutely skilled at being able to let it fly. Just like David with a sling, they also could do this with a rod. And it was used for discipline or correction, but also to protect from the predators. And he says, watching these boys be able to throw with incredible accuracy as that rod whistles through the air was a great assurance to sheep to know that if something started to happen, they could do something about it. But then there's the long staff, the long stick. Sometimes it had a crook in it. We call it the shepherd's crook, where they could reach out if a sheep had gotten entangled that they could lift them out. But also sometimes they would just let the sheep feel that staff along their side saying, I love you. Okay, here's the way to go. Oh, no, don't go that way. This is the way to go. And it was very comforting. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Some believe that the the metaphor changes now from a shepherd to a host, but actually Philip Keller says you can still understand this as a shepherd. A table is a spread out piece of land where there is good, good green land, good food. And so he said, you prepare that for me. Even though there's predators around, I'm not afraid because you're doing that uh, in a way that I know you're protecting me. He says, you anoint my head with oil. We talked about how they must be free from pests the flies and different creatures. So sometimes they would just put oil on their head, not only to protect them, but also if they had gotten scratched by briars or other things, it was a comfort to be anointed that way with oil. And then finally, he says, my cup overflows. What you have done to provide for me is more than enough. And I just am so thankful. And he says, surely goodness and mercy will be like bodyguards my whole life. They will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. House can mean household, family. It can mean home. It can mean heaven. He's basically saying, I, my days are gonna be endless with you because you are able to lead me. So he praises the Lord as his shepherd and says all these things. All these things you've done for me, I praise you. I praise you because you guide and provide. I praise because you're there for and you care for me. And then we see that David was actually writing this psalm, and later Jesus would say that this was prophetic. 
This was actually looking ahead to how God would do this here on earth. He would finally send a human shepherd that would be just like him. And so if you're following along, God promises to send one who will shepherd his flock. God promises to send one who will shepherd his flock one day. He also prophesies about this in the minor prophet of Micah, Micah 5, where it says, out of you, Bethlehem, I will raise up a ruler. And then he says in verse 4, look at what he says about this. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Who is this one? Well, we're thankful as followers of Christ to know that it's Jesus. And Jesus, if you're following along, says that he's the great I am and good shepherd. Jesus says he's the great I am and good shepherd. Now, let me just do a little review. Very first week of this series this summer, Steve taught us that when Moses asked God in the wilderness because God had said, I want you to go to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, now, wait, you know, I'm going to need some cred. So like, who should I tell him sent? He says, tell him, I am sent you. And the I am was just four Hebrew letters, which sometimes we pronounce Yahweh or Jehovah. And he says, tell him, I am. I am who I am. I am who I will be. I am the God who makes things happen. I'm revealing myself to you, and I will reveal myself to them. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and a number of times in the Gospel of John, he says, I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. So here, look at this in John 10. Here's what he says. I am the good shepherd. The one that David wrote about, the one prophesied in Micah 5, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Basically what he's saying is not everybody's my sheep, but I know my sheep and they know me. And then he goes on in verse 27 through 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he says, I and the father are, what's the word? One. Now, in case you're wondering if Jesus is claiming to be God here, just know that if you kept reading past verse 30, you would read that the religious leaders were so ticked off that he said that they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because he claimed to be God, co-equal with God. He's basically saying, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord who is the good shepherd. And so as we think about this, I want you to notice, why can we trust him? Like when he says that, well, if you're following along, he lays down his life for the sheep and they know his voice. He lays down his life for the sheep and they know his voice. Why should we trust Jesus to be our shepherd? Because no one's ever laid down their life for you and no one's ever laid out their life as much as he has for you or me. The Bible says that he laid down his life, certainly on the cross. But if there's anything I I was struck by again this week as I studied this psalm and as I read uh, Philip Keller's book and read so many other commentaries, is it's a lot of work to be a shepherd with sheep. It's a lot of work. You know why? Because sheep are a lot of work. You know what that means? I'm a lot of work. To care for me, to be there for me. And I look back on my life and I can tell you that's true. 
Man, the Lord has gone through all kinds of headaches, all kinds of patience, all kinds of mercy, but he is a shepherd who is committed to laying down his life for the sheep, and we can know his voice. We can listen to his voice. He says, my sheep will listen to my voice. They'll know my voice. They'll recognize me. So does that mean audible? I've told you many times, I've never heard the Lord speak to me audibly. But across the ticker of my mind, he's made his voice known to me and impressed upon me. And I know when it's his voice many times because it's different than what I would have thought or what I would have chosen. He challenges and he encourages me. Sometimes when I want to beat myself up, sometimes he also encourages. The Lord is my shepherd, he says. And he lays down his life for the sheep. But one more thing. Notice this. That David basically says this. In his goodness and mercy, he'll bring us through and to. In his goodness and mercy, he'll bring us through and to. He says, this is why you should trust him. Because if you let him lead your life, he'll bring you not only through the valley, he'll bring you through those things you didn't know if you could get through, but he'll eventually bring you to where you could never get to without him. I love how the old black preacher once said, if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. But also in a similar way, if he brings you through it, his whole goal is to bring you to him, to his presence, to his house, to be with him forever. And I don't know how many of you, we could just spend the next few hours talking about what's he brought you through. Man, what a faithful God. The Lord is my shepherd. And so we could spend the rest of our time talking about this. But, you know, if we fill our heads with Psalm 23 and we know how to, like, explain it backwards and forwards, but we don't know the shepherd, what a loss. And so what does it mean to know the Lord is my shepherd? I want to talk to you about that as we close. This week, as I, I was preparing this message, I just thought, Lord, how, how do you want me to? And uh, two phrases came to my mind. One was, with this and for this. And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we all have thises. What do I mean by this? Well, all of us have insecurities. All of us have things that worry us. All of us have things that burden us down. And when we wrestle with those things, they press in. Like most of us didn't walk in this room without some kind of this. And when we think about it, it, is, it, it, it makes, we have a decision to make of whether or not we're going to trust God with it. We're going to share it with him. We're going to let him be the Lord of our life. And so what is your this? And um, I just to set this up a little bit, yesterday I was thinking about this. Yesterday in our church family, there, were, there was a person that got married one of the happiest days of their life, and there was some people that attended a, a funeral, one of the saddest days of your life, and everything in between. And as a pastor, if I've learned anything, there's some really hard thises that people need the Lord to lead them through so they can be led to. And so what is it for you? Well, here's the first question, or first statement. As I trust Jesus with this, He'll guide and provide all I need. As I trust Jesus with this, he'll guide and provide all I need. So what, what is it that you need to trust him with? What's your this? And what would it look like if you were to surrender and submit yourself to him and yield yourself to him, to give it to him instead of keep it to yourself? 
And so I, I was reading another author this week, Tim Keller, not Philip Keller, and here's what he says. As long as you're moment by moment living as if you're a sheep, there's no end what great things God can do in your life. Now, what does this mean? It's a discipline that will revolutionize your life if you practice it. It simply means moment by moment crying out to him, hour upon hour talking to him, running things by him. One little exercise you can use if you're really trying to get serious about obeying him is making a list of five or six temptations you're probably going to come up against during the day. Think your day ahead and say, what am I most, where am I most likely to get grumpy? Where am I most likely to get disappointed? What temptations are coming up? Then cry out to your shepherd continually during the day, especially when you approach one. It's really a mental discipline. It goes like this. When somebody is aggravating you, what do you do? You say, dear shepherd, I know I must be far more of an aggravation to you than this person is to me. Let me remember that. And because of what you have done, let me be patient. Or what happens when success comes to you? Affirmation comes to you and somebody tells you how great you are. What do you do? You say, dear shepherd, I know who I am. I realize this could have just as easily turned out the other way. This is all you're doing. This is nothing but a gift. I give you all the glory. Or what happens when a failure shows up or some kind of difficulty shows up? What do you say? You say, dear shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I was um, with a young man this week who has been a school teacher up in Chicago, and he has been a tremendous witness to many high school students about Jesus, quietly, in many ways, uh, courageously. And he was talking to me, because I remember years ago when he was a teenager, and he sat in my office with his dad, because he wasn't sure he even believed God existed. So he was talking to me about how much his life has changed in the last 10, 12 years, and he said, is because you guys, when you teach on Sunday, you would challenge us to submit and surrender our lives to God. He said, man, that really used to bother me because I want my own way. And he said, once I got to the place where I finally surrendered, I realized that was the turning point in my life. But it wasn't easy and it was a challenge. So what's your this with this? If you're able to do that, then here's the great news. For this, if you're following along, I have Jesus For this I have Jesus, and his presence drives out fear. For this I have Jesus, and his presence drives out fear. I've shared this story in the past. I'll share it again. Many years ago, during a church meeting in Ireland, the speaker was explaining what it means to abide in the Lord and find strength in Christ. He said, it means that in every circumstance you face, every this you face, you can learn to keep on saying, for this, for this. I have Jesus. The speaker sat down and the meeting was open for testimonies. One young woman who sat at the piano rose and said, I must be the first to testify because I need to leave immediately. Just a few moments ago, I was handed a message. It says, mother is very ill. Take the first train home. As I read the startling news, my heart was stirred to practice what had just been taught by saying, for this I have Jesus. Instantly, a peace and a strength greater than my own flooded my being. She went on, I have never traveled alone before, but for this, I have Jesus. I must take a midnight train. For this, I have Jesus. Then I must make a connection and cross the English Channel, totally unfamiliar to me. For this, 
I have Jesus. Then I have to take a long railroad journey to the south of England for this and all the suspense and all the unknown that goes with it. I have Jesus. And if the Lord is your shepherd, the Lord can help you understand that too. So as you're thinking about this, why is this so important? Because only when the Lord is your shepherd can you know if you're following along. But if he is, you can know his peace, his courage, and contentment firsthand. You can know his peace, his courage, and contentment firsthand. Philip Keller said that contentment should be the hallmark of every follower of Jesus because of his care. And so I was thinking about a picture of that. Remember, we learned that you can't lie down unless you know if you're a sheep. And so I was thinking about these pictures here. This is a picture of contentment, isn't it? And the shepherd's care. And the Lord wants us to know this kind of peace and courage and contentment. A mother was trying to teach her little boy who had cancer and was in the hospital this truth. So she taught him the first five words of of the 23rd Psalm. And she taught him to start with his thumb whenever he'd say it. The Lord is my shepherd. And then she said, whenever you say this, after you've said it, take your ring finger in your fist and hold on to it to remember that the Lord is my shepherd. When the little boy died, they found him holding his ring finger with his fist. Because the Lord not only led him through it, he led him to it. And that is the hope that we have. So this morning, we thought we could just close the service by just letting these words be sung over you. And again, I don't know what kind of wrestling you might do with God or if you're in a place where you're just needing to know again that he's there for you and cares for you, that he wants to guide and provide for you this day, whatever your this is. But let these words just speak and let the Lord speak to you as these are sung. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.